think it will be helpful this morning, just a little bit of background information as we look at this psalm. You can look at it probably in your Bibles and see it's, it's a little bit lengthy this morning. So let me give you a little bit of a background about what's going on here. It's interesting, as I was spending some time with this psalm this week, that Psalm 118 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Now, that may sound to you like the nice, a nice trivia question, what is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament? But I think it's so much more than that. I think the fact that Psalm 118 is quoted by all four gospel writers, in fact, it is the only psalm that is quoted by all four gospel writers, three times in Matthew, three times in Mark, three times in Luke, and one time in John, speaks to the significance of this psalm. There's something here that the Lord wants us to know and understand. Before we read it together, this psalm is classified as a psalm of thanksgiving, one in which the author is, is recording his thanksgiving to God for something remarkable that God has done on behalf of his people. Now, we don't know who the author of this psalm is. It's not identified, but it's probably a Davidic king of Israel who was also the military leader of Israel. And once we get into the text, one of the things we're going to see, he's going to tell us a little bit about the events that, that from which this psalm came. And it's clear that he's writing this in a time of national crisis. We're going to be clued in here that he's reflecting on a time when Israel was surrounded by all of her enemies. I mean, everywhere they looked, their enemies, and they were invading. And it was a situation that Israel had no hope. They could not, there was no way to defeat all these armies. And so in their distress, they cried out to the Lord. And then God awesomely delivered Israel from all these enemies. He did it. He gave them victory. And this psalm is the result of that. It's a calling of God's people together to say, look what God has done. Let's praise him. Let's worship him. He has dramatically won this war for us. But even more so, as we're seeing in every one of these psalms, Yes, it speaks to God's victory over Israel's enemies. But when we get to the Gospels, it's often quoted, it's a messianic psalm. Because it's a psalm written with anticipation of God's victory over all of our enemies. Sin, our flesh, the world, Satan, these enemies that surround you and I day in and day in. And we've never been able to conquer all of them on our own. Yet God has brought us the victory through Christ, through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So this psalm is pointing us to God's victory over our enemies in Christ. Let's look together at the text, Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. And out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. For it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me, and in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side, and in the name of the Lord I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. 
The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the feastal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I will give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Well, let's look just very briefly at this psalm. Just a, there's so much that could be said about here. Just a few comments, I think, that will help us as we turn our hearts to the Lord in praise and in prayer. Note the psalm begins in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Well, why? Why give thanks to the Lord? Answer, for He is good. It's the Lord's goodness in time of distress that moves the psalmist to exhort his fellow worshipers to, to praise the Lord. But notice this, he's not satisfied with just praising the general goodness of the Lord. He specifies, he wants to zero in on a special aspect of God's goodness. And so he says also in verse 1, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then notice this, he wants to zero in on the love of God, the steadfast love of God. And then notice in verse 2, he says, let all of Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. And not just all of Israel, how about verse 3, uh, the house of Aaron, all the priests gather together. Let's say with one accord, his steadfast love endures forever. Then verse 4, all who fear the Lord, let them gather together and say, his steadfast love endures forever. What is the steadfast love of the Lord? We bump into this idea oftentimes through the Psalms. What is it? We talk about the covenant love of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God. But I think something helpful, it's the love of God that refuses to let his people go. The love of God that just simply says, you haven't earned it, you haven't deserved it, and my goodness, I look at you and you're doing everything that I should just get out of here. I'm done with you. Enough's enough. But the steadfast love of the Lord is that says that which says, I will never do that. And all we have to do is look at Israel's history to see God's steadfast love. You can go back to Abraham. Remember, it was God who made his initial promise to Abraham of covenant faithfulness. Was Abraham faithful to God in return? You don't have to read very long into the story of Abraham. Abraham fails, yet God does not let him go. Moses, the story of Moses, God's covenant faith. Was Moses faithful to God all those years in the wilderness? Eh, he, was, he was pretty good, but he wasn't faithful to God perfectly. And yet, likewise, God would not let him go. And, of course, the children of Israel in the wilderness, God brings them out of slavery in Egypt. He's leading them to the promised land. 
but they're going through the wilderness, and you would think they'd be so thankful to God, so grateful to God for his goodness, for his mercy, for his grace. And what do they do? They grumble. They complain. They're not happy with the provisions of God in the wilderness. And yet, does God say, you know what? You are so ungrateful. You are so ungracious. Forget it. I'm just going to wipe you all out right here in the wilderness. He doesn't do it. God's loving kindness, his covenant love, his loyal love, his steadfast love is a love that says, I will not let you go. One commentator put it this way. I just love this. So I got God's loving kindness is that sure love which will not let Israel go. Not all Israel's persistent waywardness could ever destroy it. Though Israel be faithless, yet God remains faithful still. This steady, persistent refusal of God to wash his hands of wayward Israel is the essential meaning of the Hebrew word which is translated the steadfast love of the Lord. I want you to think about that with me as we prepare to worship this God, as we prepare to seek him in prayer. God's persistent love for his people refuses to wash his hands of you and me. And brothers and sisters, we need that this morning. Don't you feel that you need that? That realization, have you been faithful to God perfectly this week? I pray we've had good moments, good days, but I'm up here pastoring this church. I've not been faithful to God as he demands and deserves. What a great and glorious truth that our God is one who, despite ourselves and our own failings, will not let us go, will not wash his hands of us. And therefore, the psalmist says, sing, praise him. All you who fear the Lord, we've never known a God like this who loves us and will not let us go. But before we do, keep in mind this, this love that will not let us go, it came at a cost. The God who says, I will love you with a love that won't let you go, he is also, in addition to being loving, holy and righteous and just. Which means you and I, if we've not been faithful to him, we're sinners. We've messed up. And the love of God cannot just simply say, well, I'll just let that go. I'm going to love you anyway. God is able to love us with a love that says, I will never wash my hands with you because he paid the necessary price that would enable him to love us that way. For you and I, sinners, rebels, to receive the loving kindness of God, it cost the Father his own son. The Father gladly gave up his son, and the son willingly accepted the price that had to be paid upon the cross. It was there my sins were placed upon my Savior, your sins upon your Savior, insofar as you're looking to Jesus Christ as your only hope. And it was there our sins were forgiven. It was there we were reconciled to God. It was there we were not only sins forgiven, we were adopted into his family. He could have forgiven our sins and not adopted us into his family. He made us children of God. So that this morning as we gather together, as I said in the opening, we're not here because we're so religious or so spiritual or because this is so exciting, there's nowhere else we'd rather be on a Sunday morning. We're here because we've never known a God like this. And it is our joy, it is our privilege to seek him, to worship him, to worship him in Christ. 
and to honor him as our God who loves us with a love that will not let us go.